you very much for that. If you look over here at our, uh, we call it our scoreboard, uh, you'll see that we had, um, yesterday we had four teams out knocking on doors, looking for people in the neighborhood that are interested in spiritual things. Our soul winners 
uh, wear these little buttons here. And uh, it's called a Soul Winners University pin. And it attracts attention. Yesterday was voting day, as you know. I went to vote. And as I stood there doing the paperwork, the man looked up to me and, and said, Ooh, what's that pin all about? So I, I said to him, oh, that was a, a gift from my church. He says, yeah. I said, for looking after, helping to look after the spiritual needs of people. And he said, oh. And I asked him, do you have any interest in spiritual things? And he says, yeah. He says, I'm Catholic. And I said, oh, that's great. Uh, and then I said to him, tell me, do you have heaven all figured out? You got it all figured out yet? And he says, no, no, he doesn't have that figured out. And I said, well, you know, your Bible tells you that you can know for sure. And that's all the time I had because there was others behind me. But the little pin helps to give you opportunities to share your faith. Now, in Soul Winners University, we learn all that kind of stuff. But we had four teams out yesterday. We've got eight people in the community that are currently have shown an interest in spiritual things. They have been given Bible studies and we're following up on them. It looks like we got a total of 2,415 doors knocked on so far this year. Well, let's open up our Bible, shall we, to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. When I was a boy, we used to play a crazy game. We would, uh, we'd ask each other this question. We'd say, if you had a million dollars, what would you do with it? Now, how many have ever played a game anything like that? Can I see your hand? Raise your hand. So I'm not alone then. There's a few of us huh, that have played that game. And, um, you know, these days, I don't think a million is enough. These days, the young people playing the game might say, if you had a billion dollars, you know, or if you won this 1.6 billion lotto crazy thing in the States there, what would you do with it? What would you do with the money? And we play silly games like that, right? Um, sometimes we would change it a little, and instead of money, we'd say, if you could have anything you wished for, anything at all, what would you wish for? Has anyone ever played that game? Yes? Not too many? Oh, a few, okay. <clears throat> Well, sometimes the answers would be silly. Sometimes a person would say, well, if I could have anything I'd wish for, I'd wish for 10 more wishes, you know, crazy things like that. Sometimes the, the answers would be hilarious and funny and sometimes real silly, but it was kind of all in good fun. Um, however, one thing that the game did was it showed what our greatest desires were. That's what it would do. If you had all this money, what would you do with it? If you could have anything you want, what would you wish for? And it shows up what our desires are if we're going to play the game. Now, not everyone has a million dollars, but everyone has desires. And every one of us have great desires too. That's just how we're made. Now, think about this. What if we could play that game with God? How about that? What if we could go to God and we could ask God to play the game? Say, God, if you had a million dollars, what would you do with it? Well, that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. If God had a million dollars, what would he do with it? 
So uh, I know it sounds a little odd, but uh, we're going to take a crack at it anyhow. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll continue. Heavenly Father, help us to learn something today, scriptural, spiritual. Help us, Lord, to know something that maybe we didn't know before or never considered. Lord, we pray that you'd have your own way in our hearts as we study your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this little game here, if God had a million dollars... What would he do with it? You might be sitting there thinking, well, that's a very silly game because God has, has everything he wants. You might be thinking, you know, there's, God wouldn't play that game because there's nothing that he doesn't have. He owns everything. Well, I'd like to suggest to you that there may be something that God doesn't have, but that he'd really like to have. I'm going to make that suggestion to you. And in, throughout the sermon here, you, you can determine if, if it's right or wrong. But I'm going to put that forth to you right now, that there's something that God would like to have if he could have his desire, right? Because, you know, God does own all the money. You know, when we play this game, we can't say, well, God, you know, if you had a million, if you had a billion, because the Bible tells us in the book of Haggai that he owns all the silver, he owns all the gold, the wealth, you know, of all the world belongs to him. He's got all the money anyhow. So he can't play that game. So we have to change it. We got to go to the other one, the wishes game. If you could wish for anything you want. So if we went to God today and we said, God, if you could have anything you want, you know, your, your, your deepest desire, your, your greatest, wildest idea, Lord, if you could have anything, what, is, what would you want, Lord? What would you wish for? And maybe this is maybe where we need to play the game here. God, what is your fondest wish, your wildest dream, your heart's desire? What might God answer back if we could play this game with him? And we asked him this question, what would he answer back? Now, right away, I'm sure some people would say, I know what God would say. He would say, peace on earth. God would want peace on earth. Someone else might stand up and, and say, well, God wants us to love one another. That would be his fondest wish and desires for us to love one another. Someone else might stand up and say, no, no. What God would want, his greatest desire is for no more sin. No more sin. Someone else might stand up and say, well, I think that God's greatest desire would be to recreate the Garden of Eden so that he could walk with man once again, you see? And, and these are all good ideas and good suggestions. I'm sure that God is interested in, in all of them, but I kind of have another thought here I want to share with you. And I think that I want to suggest that God's greatest desire is going to be found where he puts forth most of his efforts. God's greatest desire will be found where he puts most of his efforts. And usually I think you'll find that people in general tend to put most of their time, most of their money, most of their abilities into what it is they want. You say, why is that? It's because these things are important to them. And that's why they become their greatest desires. So where does God put most of his effort these days? There's a good question. Now, when God created the world, you know, he did it all in six days. Please don't buy into any of this Tommy rot that God did it over a period of, you know, each day was a thousand years. Don't buy into that stuff. Don't buy into any of this evolutionary 
garbage here that God really had nothing to do with it. There was a great big bang, you know, in outer space and everything kind of was hot, then cooled off and all of a sudden we got life and it just evolved from there. Don't buy into that stuff. That stuff is fantasy. That stuff takes more faith to believe. It takes, listen, sure the wind blows and it sometimes blows through the junkyard, but how often does the wind blow through a junkyard and form a, a Boeing 747 jet on the other side. How often does that happen? Hmm? I have in my office up on my shelf a little baby food jar this big. In that baby food jar is a complete pocket watch. It's a small pocket watch, a lady's pocket watch, but it's a complete pocket watch. Every single piece is there except it's not put together. There are many pieces in a small little wind-up lady's pocket watch. A lot of them, including the spring itself, is there. Everything you need to have a functioning, working pocket watch is in that little baby food jar. Everything is there. Now the question is, how many times do I have to shake that jar in order for all those parts to come together and for the watch to be fully wound and ticking according to the correct time. How many times do I have to shake that jar? A million times? A hundred million times? How many times do I have to shake those parts? And I'll tell you something, if you know anything about pieces of metal or just about pieces of anything, you shake them together long enough and they start to go dull. The edge is gone. They won't fit anymore. And the longer you shake that little jar, the further away you're actually going to get from a, a functioning working pocket watch. Don't buy into evolution. It's bankrupt. You know, it's a three-legged horse. Don't buy that thing. Hmm? Well, when God created the world, he looked on all of his works and after each day he said, it's good. He pronounced everything good. And it was good. It was great. But God is also a God of love and God of compassion. He's not a cold-hearted God. He's very loving and compassionate. When Adam and Eve sinned, God began to put forth the effort to reach out to them with salvation. He worked through Noah to save the world. He worked through Abraham to make Israel through which he wanted to save the world. As we look at God's dealings all throughout the world, throughout history, where did God put forth most of his efforts? I think the answer comes down to this. It's obvious. It has something to do with his wanting to save the world, and it has something to do with his greatest gift to us, which is Jesus Christ. Where does God put forth his most efforts? I think it's in trying to save the world. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the desire of God, the heartbeat of God, I believe, is for the world to be saved. So much of the world is not saved. And I think if we look at history, and, and God's dealings in the world, I think that we'll come to this conclusion that God's greatest desire has something to do with saving the world and it has something to do with his greatest gift to us. And that's his son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I suggest to you today that God's greatest desire is for the world to have a chance to be saved. 
Um, if we were to pray, Lord, if you could have anything, your heart's desire, if you could have your wildest dream, if you could have anything at all, anything, oh Lord, what would it be? What is it you would want? And the Bible says in 2 Peter that the Lord is not willing that any should perish. That means to die and go to hell, but that all should come to repentance. That's the, the desire, the heartbeat of God. And so that's why I believe that uh, God would answer us. He would answer our prayer. Lord, what, what would you, if you could have your greatest desire, your, your best wish, God, what would you wish for? And I believe that God would answer and say, my greatest desire is that people all over the world have an opportunity to be saved. Now, we know that not everyone takes that opportunity. Sadly, we knock on doors, we talk to friends, we invite them to church, we give them a Bible study, and a lot of them are very polite. They'll smile, so thank you, but they won't come to church, they won't read the Bible, they won't read a gospel tract, they won't listen to a sermon being preached. They're just not interested. When the opportunity is there, they're not interested. Noah had that problem. For 120 years, he preached to people and told them the judgment of God is going to fall. And every living thing that hath breath is going to die unless you get into the ark. And they had opportunity after opportunity. And they all said, well, no, thanks, but no thanks. Oh, some said crazy old Noah. They made fun of him. But the day came when Noah and his family went in the ark and God closed the door. And boy, did it rain. And I believe if we could find that ark, we'd find claw marks on the sides of that ark. We'd find dents in the door where people had beat with their fists. But you see, the day comes when it's too late. The opportunity is, is over, it's gone. Did you know we just finished our elections, right? We got a new mayor here in Surrey, right? I want you to be praying for him as Mayor Doug McCallum. Be praying for him for wisdom and health. He's 73. Now for some, that's not old. For other of, of us, we didn't know that human beings could become that old, right? It's all kind of relative. But uh, do pray for his health. Pray for his protection. Pray for his wisdom. Pray that he do a good job there, okay? But now supposing, supposing someone comes and says, oh, wait, I, I wanted to be mayor. I, I want to get my name in on the ballot. Can we do this again? Can we have everyone come and vote? I want to put my name in there. I, I think I'd like to be mayor. What would happen? What would he be told? He said, so sad. <laughs> Too bad. You snooze, you, you lose. You had your opportunity. You didn't throw your hat in the ring at the right time. And you had plenty of chance to do it. So, time's up. You know, the door of opportunity to get saved is going to close one day. A lot of people have had the opportunity to be saved. And they say, well, not today. Some other day, hey, when I'm on my deathbed, I've got nothing better to do. Then I'll receive Jesus. Then I'll repent of my sin. Then I'll become a Christian. And that day sadly never comes. So many people die in their sleep. So many people die in a sudden impact, an accident or something. So I'm just saying this. God's greatest desire is for people to have an opportunity to be saved. Now, if this is true, if this is correct... If we said to God, what is your greatest, your wildest, your, your most fantastic desire and wish? Lord, what is it? And God were to say, my greatest desire is for everyone in the world to have an opportunity to be saved. If that's true, then our next question begs an answer.
Our very next question should be, Lord, what can I do to help? What can I do to make your dream a reality? What part can I play that will help you to realize this great desire? You know, that's a good question. And by the way, if you know the Lord is your Savior, if you're part of God's family, you have to come to grips with that question. You cannot avoid it. It's like the unsaved man. He says, well, I'll just avoid the, the issue. You can avoid it for so long, but when you die, wow, you're going to stand before Jesus at the great white throne judgment. You cannot avoid Jesus Christ. One day you will stand before him. It doesn't matter what religion, what country, what language. It doesn't matter your height. It doesn't matter your male or female or if you put an X or something in a strange box on a form. It doesn't matter. Every person will stand before Jesus. They'll either face Jesus as Savior or they'll face Jesus as judge. One of the two. You cannot avoid Jesus Christ. And Christian, you and I cannot avoid this question, Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do? That is a question we cannot avoid because we will answer to Jesus Christ. We will, as surely as we're here today, we will answer to him for that. But our next question is, Lord, Lord, if you could have your greatest desire of your heart, if it could come true, Lord, what, what would it be? And Lord, what can I do? What can I do to make it happen? Now in Isaiah chapter 6, we've got a man here who comes into the presence of God. He sort of, it seems, had his eye on a, on a king, King Uzziah. In verse 1, in that, the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. It almost suggests that Isaiah here may have been uh, looking at a man more than looking at God. We don't know. Hopefully not. But it is what it is. And when he saw the Lord, he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. That would be those uh, royal robes filling the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. These are the burning ones. That's what the, the meaning of it is. Each one had six wings with twain. That means two. He covered his face with twain. He covered his feet with twain. He did fly. This was an unbelievable sight for Isaiah. And uh, one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy. Now, this is how we understand that God is a thrice holy God. And it also suggests the Trinity the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory and the posts of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. Then here's Isaiah. Then said I, woe is me for I am undone. Do you ever feel that way? you ever feel that your Christian life is not what it should be? you ever feel that you're not as close to God as you wish you were? That seems to be the cry of Isaiah's heart here. He says, woe is me. Now, woe is a powerful word. He says, I am undone. It's like I'm falling apart here because I'm a man of unclean lips. What that means, well, we may not know for sure till we meet Isaiah, but it sounds like that he had trouble with his lips. Things would come out his mouth that weren't good. Have you ever said anything you shouldn't have said? Have your lips ever been found dirty almost looks like he had a dirty mouth he said I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips 
If you hang around with a bunch of people that all they do is curse and swear, guess what's going to eventually come out of your mouth? If you hang around with people that all that they talk about are worldly things, guess what's eventually going to come out of your mouth? The crowd you hang around with, the people you hang around with, the person you hang around with is going to have an effect on you. Say, how do you know? Because the Bible says, iron sharpeneth iron. You can't help it. You hang around someone long enough and some of them is going to rub off on you. Unfortunately, usually it's not always the good things. You ever hear the story about the man who put on a pair of white gloves? And these were so pristine, pure, white. They were just not a speck of dust on them. They were absolutely pure. Then he went into his backyard where he had a big pile of dirt. And he started playing with the dirt. And his desire, his goal, was for the dirt to become glovey. He wanted all that dirt to take on the characteristics of that pure, the pure white gloves. He wanted the dirt to become glovey. But you know what he found happened? The dirt didn't become glovey. The gloves became, what do you think? Dirty. Dirty, right. <laughs> Have you ever tried to make the dirt glovey? Huh? Well, if I just hang around my beer-drinking, pot-smoking friends, my foul-mouthed friends, if I just hang around them long enough, they'll become godly like me. What you find ends up happening is you get these dreams that you wake up and say, why did I dream that? Where'd that come from? What'll happen is one day you'll wake up and you'll have a temper tantrum. And you say, well, that's not like me. Where'd that come from? Well, you've been trying to make the dirt glovey. You know, there's a thing called separation. And you and I ought to learn to come out from the world, come away from it, apart from it. God says, I'll receive you unto myself. Now, folks, we are in the world. I know it. We're stuck on this planet until the Lord calls us home. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. You know, just because the world is smoking up doesn't mean we have to. Just because it's now legal in Canada doesn't mean that any of us have to go out and buy the stuff. Huh? Just because people are allowed to say profane and filthy language in public doesn't mean that we have to, right? Maybe you can't always stop a bird from landing on your head. It might happen. A bird might land on your head. But boy, oh boy, you don't have to let it build a nest there and lay eggs, right? Ooh, I was sitting with my wife in her little car and we'd gotten home the other day and uh, I was about to get out and I saw, you know, the windshield comes up to this bar here and I saw this little piece of, uh, of what I thought was a thread hanging down. And I thought, how did a thread get there? You know, you never know, right? And so I, I tried to get it, you know, and it was kind of moving like that. And I finally got it and pulled it. It was the leg of a bug one of these big stink bugs or something, and this thing came down, landed right in my lap. <laughs> Wah! <laughs> Even though I'm a million times more heavy than it and bigger and uglier than that bug, I know, but uh, still, it gave me a start, gave me a scare. You gotta be careful what strings you're pulling on. You gotta be careful what you're gonna get involved with because sometimes you just, you need the Lord's wisdom. I should have prayed before I yanked on that string, though, I tell you right now. Let's get back to Isaiah. So, 
To make a long story short, one of the seraphim in verse 6 comes and looks after his sin problem. And by the way, if you and I will confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you've got a sin of neglecting your Bible and prayer closet daily, that's a sin and it needs to be confessed. If you've got a sin of being lazy in your church attendance, that's a sin that you need to confess. If you've got a sin of hiding your light under a bushel and not letting your light shine for Jesus, that needs to be confessed. That's what this altar is for. Praise the Lord. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And Isaiah learned it that day, and I'm sure his heart was so glad. And so in verse 8, also, I heard the voice of the Lord. Now he could hear the voice of the Lord after his sin got dealt with, after he recognized and confessed. Now he could start hearing the voice of the Lord, the still small voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And you can almost see Isaiah raising his hand. Then said I, here am I, send me. What a gorgeous, beautiful story here, a true story. We have here the life of Isaiah. And Isaiah here proves, I believe absolutely proves with his life that you and I, human beings, can help fulfill God's greatest desire. God was expressing his desire in verse 8. Look at it again. And the Lord was saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? God had a desire. Isaiah said, here am I, send me. That's where the song comes from. Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. I will serve you faithfully. Here am I, Lord, send me. Are you faithfully serving the Lord? Did you used to faithfully serve the Lord in your not-so-distant past? What happened? How did the devil do it? How did he get you off course? How did, he, how did he get you sitting on the sidelines? You need to get back to where the Lord wants you. Back to serving him. Isaiah said, here am I, send me. I'm wondering if maybe that would be a prayer for someone today. In your heart, you'd raise your hand to the Lord and say, here am I, Lord, send me. Lord, what is your greatest desire? Oh, Lord, if you could have your greatest desire, the wildest wish, what would it be? God says, my wildest desire is the entire world would have an opportunity to be saved. Now it comes back to us. Oh, well, in that case, what can I do? Lord, what can I do to help make that happen? That's a good prayer. You may want to consider praying that prayer this morning in the light of our missions conference. In one week today is our Faith Promise Conference. Well, I'm sorry, it's our Faith Promise Sunday. A conference begins on Wednesday. Just to give you a little insight, I'm the keynote speaker. I'm going to be the first one that gets to preach at the conference. We got two other missionaries that'll be preaching this week, but it starts on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And on Saturday, we get to eat. We've got the International Buffet. Hey! And then Sunday, one week today, we're handing out these, these little cards here. And we'll talk about those, those later. But getting back to our scripture, we've got a man named Isaiah, and he proves that anyone can be used of God to help fulfill God's desire. That's pretty exciting. 
For some people, God calls them to go to the mission fields of this world and to preach the gospel. Why? So that people have a chance, an opportunity to be saved. For others, they cannot go. And so God calls upon them to financially and prayerfully help send those whom God has called to go. Why? So that they can go and fulfill God's greatest desire. And that is to give people everywhere an opportunity to hear the gospel and be saved. Which one are you today? Which one are you today? There are two. Has God specifically called you to go and preach the gospel? If he has, then you need to prepare yourself. You need to get ready. If he has not called you to go, then you need to do everything in your power to help others to go. Hey, the Apostle Paul, don't you agree? He was one of the greatest missionaries, right? If, you, if you've ever read the New Testament, he's one of the greatest missionaries. He's up in heaven. Did you know that there are a number of churches? When he was on earth, there's a number of churches that supported him. Did you know that? Now imagine this, being up in heaven saying, I supported the Apostle Paul. Wow, I'm, the, I'm one of them that helped make it possible for him to preach the gospel and start churches all over that, that section of the world. God used me to help support him financially and prayerfully so that he could give people in the then known world a chance to be saved. I helped support the Apostle Paul. God's design is not for Paul to live for 2,000 years on earth. God's design was that when he was anywhere up to 60 years of age or something, and that was it, and God took him home to heaven. Oh, the game's over. No, it's not. God's called others. Others get the call of God to go. Did you know that these 56 missionaries we support are heroes in God's eyes? Heaven's heroes. Why? Because they're going where we cannot go. They're going around the world. Folks, we got missionaries around the world. If, if you come to the mission conference, you will see a spinning globe with a little red flag in all of the countries where we have missionaries, and you will see that the sun never sets on the missionary ministry of Grace Baptist Church of Surrey, B.C. Our missionaries span the globe. But even though we have 56 missionaries, we have seven and a half billion people. We're just starting. We're just starting. The potential is so great what we can do. Can you imagine being in heaven and saying, I help support these missionaries? That's, that's bragging rights. I know we shouldn't brag, but it does come with the territory. But listen, if God has not called you to go, then God has called you to help the people who he has called to go. Does that make sense? It's one of the two. Either God's called you to go or God's called you to help those to go. It's one of the two. So which one are you? If God has called you, you need to prepare yourself. Why don't you come to British Columbia Baptist College? Get the training you need. If God has not called you to go, then you need to be actively involved doing everything you can to help others go. This means it's going to have a change in our thinking, a change in our lifestyle so that we can help fulfill God's greatest desire. It means putting a priority on sending out missionaries and praying for them daily. It means taking this missions conference seriously and saying, well, I might come Wednesday, but you know, I'd rather stay home Thursday and watch TV. It means, uh-uh, 
taking the missions conference seriously because in the missions conference, we're going to meet the missionaries. We're going to see their displays. We're going to watch their movies. We're going to hear them preach. We're going to get an opportunity to expose ourselves to the very heartbeat of Almighty God. And you can't do that sitting on the, the couch in the living room watching TV on a Thursday night. Now, listen, I know there are some people that have to work shift work. I understand that. And then there are people who physically are sick. They cannot come. I know that. But if you're not physically sick and if you're not working, you've got to be free. You've got to be free. You know, sometimes the excuses we use with the Lord just won't work with our boss at work. Imagine calling in on Monday. Uh, boss, I, I can't come to work today. Oh, why is that? Because my wife has the sniffles. What would your boss say? He'd laugh. Are you joking? Are you pulling my leg? You're not coming to work today because your wife has a sniffle? <laughs> That's not what I hired you for. Right? Oh, I can't come to school today, teacher. Why? Uh, because my dog threw up. And I need to stay home and gently stroke and pet it. You can't come to school today because of that? Yet we think God accepts those kind of excuses. Well, I can't give my tithes, Lord. I can't support missions because you see I've got all these uh, payments on all this new furniture and new drapes and carpet and of course then I want to go on these uh, vacations and so on and, and after all that's done, then maybe if there's anything left... Let's see, maybe I can help out a bit. And we think God says, oh, that's fine. No, it means putting a priority on sending out missionaries and praying for them daily. It means a change in our thinking and in our lifestyle so that we can help God to fulfill His greatest desire. It means taking the missions conference seriously and fasting one meal and praying to know what God would have us to give so that others whom he has called can go and preach the gospel. Now listen, not everyone can be a missionary like these 56 missionaries. Not everyone can be a missionary, but everyone can support a missionary. It's true. You may think, well, I can't. I'm on a very fixed income. Well, I have good news for you. God is not on a fixed income. And the whole idea of faith promise is, Lord, what, do you, what miracle do you want to do through me? Did you know that God is able to empty the piggy bank all through you so that you having all sufficiency in all things are able to abound unto every good work? Did you know that? God can do that and wants to do that through every single one of us. There's not one person here today that God doesn't want to use as a channel of His power and grace and riches in order to fulfill His greatest desire, which is that the whole world have an opportunity to be saved. If we'll just do it God's way. I want to tell you a quick story about a man named Robert. Robert was born in Richford, Vermont on November the 30th, 1888. Robert dropped out of school in 1902 at the ripe old age of 14 to get himself a job as an iron worker. Robert grew up and came to know the Lord as his savior. He got into business at about 30 years old. He had a business failure and he failed so deeply that he was so much in debt that his creditors came and literally sat in a room around him and said, Robert, how do you plan on paying back your debts? And Robert sat there and he held up his two big hands and he said, with these. And his creditors looked at each other and they thought, he's got nothing else we can take. Let him try. 
And so they gave him some slack. Now what Robert did was he went to God in prayer and he, he made God his business partner and he promised God that he would start some serious giving to the Lord's work if God would only help him get out of debt. God answered Robert's prayers and showed Robert how to construct some large earth-moving machines which some companies quickly purchased from him and providing him with a lot of money. Over the years, Robert still had ups and downs, but Robert started faithfully giving, by faith, 10% of his income to God, and he was living on 90%. And God blessed him even more. So Robert stepped out on faith, and he started giving 20% of his income to God and living on the 80%. And God was pleased and blessed him more. And Robert liked that, and he stepped out on faith, and he, he started giving 30% and living on 70%, and God blessed him, and he gave 40% and started living on 60%, and God still blessed him, and he was giving 50% of his income and living on 50%, and God was blessing him still. And you can see where this is going. Robert started giving 90% of his wealth back to God, and still his needs were more than looked after. Robert whose full name was Robert Gilmore Letourneau, came to be known as R.G. Letourneau and ended up giving millions and millions of dollars every year to support missions and other good Christian work. And still he was living comfortably. You know, Isaiah proved that you and I can be used for God's glory. And R.G. Letourneau proved with his life that God can use simple people because that's all that Robert Letourneau was, a simple man, who was willing to give to missions by faith. He proved it. His legacy is still going on down in, down in uh, Texas. Now, in one week is our Faith Promise Sunday for missions. On that Sunday, we're going to distribute to everyone a little card on which we're, we're going to have an opportunity to indicate on the card what we feel that God is asking us to give on a weekly, a monthly, or a yearly basis. This is a contract between each one of us and God. It's not a contract between us and the church. You don't put your name on this card. You zip it off. You turn in a portion. You keep the rest as a reminder. Your name doesn't go on it. It's between you and God. You want to spend the next seven days saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, I'm willing, but show me what to do. Show me, Lord. Can you use me, Lord? How can you use me, Lord? What can I do, Lord, to help make your greatest wish come true? Well, God wants missionaries sent all over the world. There are missionaries today that would run to their mission field, but they can't yet because they don't have enough support. That's where we come in. Praise the Lord, we have this opportunity. As long as a human being is alive, he or she has an opportunity to be saved. As long as you and I are alive as Christians, as God's children, we have an opportunity to get involved with his greatest desire. And I'm wondering if today you would start praying seriously. Lord, if you could have your greatest wish, your greatest desire... In fact, Lord, I know what your greatest desire is. I already know it. You want the whole world to have an opportunity to be saved. And so, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I help? Show me and I'll do it. Let's stand to our feet now for prayer. Every one of us, let's stand quietly and bow our heads for prayer. And I'm wondering if maybe someone here feels called of God to go to a mission field. 
And if you feel that, you're going to want to prepare yourself. And if you feel God is not calling you to the mission field, then I can assure you God is calling you to help those that are called to pray for them and financially support them. God is calling upon every one of us to do something. Today, you're going to have an opportunity to pray. Begin your serious prayer today. Lord, I know your greatest desire is for people all over the world to have an opportunity to be saved. Lord, what part can I play? What do you want me to do? Lord, how do you want me to support those who are going? Show me, Lord. Show me what you want me to do. Heavenly Father, bless your people today as we come to the altar in prayer with this simple request, Lord, here am I. Use me. Lord, show me what to do. In Jesus' name, you come as God has touched your heart. Step out from where you're standing and come now as the music plays. Please come to God today in prayer, in your most serious prayer. Humble yourself before the Lord. This is serious business. God's most serious request, his desire, is for the world to have an opportunity to be saved. Would you come and say, Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do?